Welcome to Atmosphere Church. My name is Jim Cruz and I'm the lead pastor. We're a new non-denominational life-giving church located in the Conejo Valley, just west of Los Angeles. Let me just say on behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this service. We pray that it'll touch your heart and change your life. In addition to bringing you today's service, we wanna make ourselves available to you in any way we can. Please leave a comment if you need prayer or if you wanna speak with one of our leaders in any struggle that you may be facing right now, we will be sure to respond to anything you need in your life. Here at Atmosphere, we believe that we should never forsake the gathering together with other believers. Don't use this recorded service as your church experience. Get involved in the local church to the extent that the people there know you by name. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our community. For more information about our church, go to our official webpage at atmosphere.church. Finally, there's a lot of man hours that are put behind making services and resources like this available that are meant to help you grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you and really for others who are also desiring to grow in their faith. To make a financial donation, simply click on the link on our site that says donate and your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Remember, when you give to Atmosphere Church, you're actually giving through Atmosphere to change lives in our church in our city and literally around the world. We've already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the service. We're in a series called Stranger King. It is Christmas. And I know that some of you are familiar with the Netflix phenomenon called Stranger Things. And yes, it's a parody of that. Uh, it's a great series, by the way, and I think I love it more than most people because I was that kid uh, in the 80s. In 1983, I owned a BMX bike, and I hung out with friends, and I didn't find strange girls in the forest um, that had superpowers, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, I had fun, and I just connected with this, and I love this because... It's a, it's a great segue into the Christmas story because if you're familiar with the biblical Christmas story about how Jesus came to earth and he was born as a baby and, and placed in a manger to a teenage unwed mom, right? And her betrothed husband and, and, and raised in, in this inner city town. It's just a bizarre, crazy story on how God decided to save the world. And so I just felt like we needed a couple of weeks to unpack this and look at just the strangeness of it, but more importantly, on why God did it the way he did it. And last week we got more into the theology. Today is more in the application. And I want you, if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. And as you're maybe turning your Bibles to Matthew 1, maybe... Uh, or. Matthew, um, yeah, Matthew 1, we'll, we'll look there, because I want to, it's not on the notes there, but uh, I want you guys to look at the genealogy first, but uh, there's a lot of things strange about our Christmas. We talked last week about weird traditions, and, and uh, how many put lights on your house? It's a weird tradition. Have you thought about that? Last night, we watched people put lights on their boats. We were at 
the Ventura Harbor, and there was a boat parade with Christmas lights on it. I was like, this is so weird. Uh, we have weird traditions. And do you know, random fact, 15,000 people per year in America are injured by decorating their homes for Christmas. So be careful, people. Random fact. But not only is it strange what, what we do for our traditions, but it's weird because we come together as family a lot of times at Christmas. And, you know, the, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced that every family has strange people inside of it. You know, some families are more dysfunctional than others, but there's always one or two people in our family tree that were like, yeah, we don't know what happened to him or her, right? It kind of reminds me of one of my favorite Christmas movies. You might recognize this character. Uh, I don't know if you guys have that slide up there. Um, I call him, uh, if you see it, I don't know if he made it up there. This is, this is Cousin Eddie. Now, I don't know if you have a Cousin Eddie in your family. Uh, growing up, I had a Cousin Eddie. He was actually my uncle. And uh, whenever we would go over his house, he, he never worked, but my dad said he repaired TVs. And I remember as a small kid going through his yard, and it was a maze of all of these TVs. We're talking the, you know, the 70s and 80s. So the TVs weren't these flat screens. There were these big boxes, right? And there's rows and rows of these TVs that he was supposed to repair. And, and I remember watching this, uh, uh, Christmas vacation going, that's my uncle. You know, this is like, you know, and every, every family has a cousin, Eddie, in the family line. I, I, I don't know if you can think of one person in your family. You're like, yeah, that's our cousin Eddie. Well, here's something weird. If you can't think of the cousin Eddie in your family, you're probably the cousin Eddie. I don't know. But I'm just so thankful that you came to church because here's the great, the great story of Christmas is that God loves to use messed up, ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. He loves it. He loves using the Cousin Eddies. And how I know this is if you look at Matthew chapter 1, it starts off by giving us the family tree of Jesus before he was born. And it goes through all of these names. And I know if you're like me, a lot of times when you're reading the Bible and you get to a chapter and it's all about telling you names of so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we immediately, right, skip over it. But I believe chapter one is so crucial for us to understand as believers. Because in chapter one, it goes down the list of all of the people. And as I talked about last week, it's really to connect the dots to show us that Jesus is in the line to be the Messiah King of Israel. But more than that, I believe it's there to show us that God loves using messed up ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. And how I know that is if you read through that list, and we don't have time to do that this morning, but there are four specific females mentioned. Now, what, what's noteworthy about this, in Jewish tradition, when you're listing the family, you're not listing the females in the family line. You're listening, uh, you're listing the males. But in this family line, in this genealogy, we hear four females that are listed in the family tree of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. We read about Tamar, 
we read about Rahab, we read about Ruth, and we read about Bathsheba. And it's like, why did the author put these females in the family line of Jesus? And I, I don't know, I, I believe that God had a word for all of us. Because see, Tamar was a woman that loved God, but she had some issues in her life. And one of the issues she had is her husbands kept dying. And so she couldn't have a baby because the husbands kept dying and the, the dad of all of the, the sons that she was marrying decided that I think she's a black widow and I think I'm going to stop giving her sons. And it got really awkward and she really got upset that she couldn't have a baby to carry on the family name. So she took matters in her own hands and she realized that her father-in-law had problems in the area of lust. It's a really bizarre story. And so she decides that she's going to act as a prostitute so that she could be impregnated by her father-in-law. And she is in the line of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I'm sorry, church, but if I'm writing a family tree of the Savior of the world, I'm leaving that story out of it. I'm going, we're just, even if it's true, we're going to like, you know, not include that in the story, just like maybe a little footnote, but not right there. But even even looking at Rahab, Rahab didn't pose as a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. And she was used in the children of Israel's exodus, and God used her in a powerful way, despite who she was and despite the things that she had done. And Rahab's name is right there. And then on top of that, we have Ruth, who is a godly woman, but she was a Moabite. So she was... An outsider. She was somebody that wasn't a part of the chosen people of God. Matter of fact, the Moabites were kind of born out of incest. So the whole lineage of the Moabites was very tainted right out the gate. Then we have Bathsheba, who's more famous than probably the other females listed in that. And Bathsheba obviously was the wife of David, but she became David's wife through a bizarre set of circumstances where I think Bathsheba was part of the original Me Too movement because the king used his power to get her to sleep with him, and then she has a baby, the baby dies, and and uh, David sets it up to where the husband of this woman, he has him killed. So now Bathsheba is this widow, and so David takes her in, and then they have another child named Solomon, and Solomon then obviously becomes the part of the story of the family tree of how the Messiah comes to the world. Now, I don't know if you were familiar with these stories in the Bible, but they're pretty dark. But yet, God goes out of his way to show us that even the darkest characters that existed, God used them, despite the things that they've done, despite the life that they had been living. And I think that's such a good story for us to understand. It's, it's a good thing for us to comprehend because in the same way that God used Tamar, in the same way that God used Ruth, in the same way that God used Rahab and Bathsheba, God wants to use us to allow Jesus to move through us to help change the world. Now, not only does God love using messed up ordinary people like that, he goes out of his way to say, I'm going to use this unwed teenage girl bring the Messiah. And this is the, the part of the story that I just think is awesome, because not only 
Was it this unwed teenage mom? She was the original 16 and pregnant. Just saying that. I mean, she was. And then Joseph was this blue-collar worker guy, this average Joe. Remember a few years ago, Joe the plumber? Remember that whole thing? And I mean, that, that was Joseph. And so if I'm God and I'm going, I'm going to bring the Savior of the world I'm looking down and I'm like a resume and I'm like, okay, I need somebody that has all these qualifications. I'm not looking for the average. I'm looking for the elite. I'm looking for the person that has done all the schooling, that knows all the laws and that has this unblemished record. Not God. God goes out of his way and finds just average, ordinary people and says they're perfect. Why? Because there's a scripture that Paul writes to the Corinthian church and I love it. And it's, it's, it bears reading this morning in 1 Corinthians. It says, now remember what you were, my friends, when God called you. From the human point of view, few of you were wise or powerful or high social standing. God purposely chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise, and he chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the powerful. Verse 28. He chose what the world looks down on and despises and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. So God purposely is going out of his way to use messed up ordinary people because while he does that, he gets a message across to the rest of the world. But it doesn't matter all of these qualifications that you have. That God uses people in spite of their lack of qualification. God uses people in spite of the messes that they've made in their life or the things that they've done in their life. And so what I see in the Christmas story is I see God using these ordinary people, the, the Joseph and the Mary, to bring the Savior of the world to do something huge for God. And I want you to know that in every God story that we read in Scripture, and really in every God story that we have happened in our life, there's three elements of it. And so if you're a person that desires to have God move in your life, then I really highly encourage you to take notes and write down these three principles. Because you're going to find these principles in every God story of Scripture, and really every God story that people have in their relationship with God today. So we want to talk about those quickly this morning. Number one is we want to talk about the call. The call of God. Now, this is a fancy way to say that God has an assignment for us. So when we talk about the calling of God, we're talking about that, that God has an assignment that He's given you as a human being living on this earth. In other words, you're not by... by you're not here by accident. You're here on purpose. That there's a reason that God puts you here on this earth. He has an assignment for you. He has a calling in your life. Now, Mary had a divine calling from God. And it's worth kind of reviewing her calling to try to understand what your calling is. Check this out in Luke chapter 1. It talks about it. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. So their engagement is a little different than our modern engagement. They were betrothed. In other words, they were assigned their spouse before they really knew their spouse. It was an arranged marriage. Now, when I was a teenager, I despised the thought of my parents choosing my spouse. 
but now that my kids are at an age that they're possibly going to get married, I say we bring it back. I say we revive arranged marriages. Because I've seen some young men, I'm like, that'll do for my daughter, you know? So, yeah, don't tell them I said that because one of my daughters is over there and the taking care of the kids. And it says, uh, um, whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can I say that one more time? This is just a rhema. This is a personal word. Some, someone you're struggling maybe in the space of your life. Let me just say this one more time for you. For nothing will be impossible with God. Don't let your thought bubbles tell you this is impossible because when God gets involved in your situation, all bets are off because when God gets involved, nothing is impossible. Touch your neighbor, say nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love Mary's heart. If you think about it, I don't know, she's 15, she's 16 years old. She just has been given the biggest assignment any human being has ever been given in the history of humanity. And she says, I'm in. Count me in. That is monumental. Because we're going to get to the second point. It's one thing to be called. It's another thing to comply with the calling. But think about the calling for a minute. Now, as you follow Jesus, there are specific callings that every follower of Jesus has in their life. The first is that he has placed his spirit in you so that you can shine the, God, or the, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, to a world that desperately needs to see it. So in other words, you're God's flashlight. You're God's lamp. You're, you're the light of the world, he said. And so what God desires to do through you is as you live your life aligned with God, God will use your life to help others see God in this world. We're all called to that. We're called to be light bearers, to shine our light. The second thing is we're called to really share our faith with other people. Jesus made that very plain to us. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have a responsibility. We have an assignment that once we receive the Spirit of God, 
that our job is to then help other people connect the dots and receive Christ in their lives. And I really think they go in that order because once God starts moving in your life and people start seeing God move in your life, then you give yourself a platform to start speaking life into their life. A lot of times we don't want to share our faith because we feel like our lifestyle doesn't have a platform that enables us to be able to share our faith with other people. So it really starts with saying, God, I want to first align my life with you. That is your first and foremost will is, is that I'm the, to shine your light by my lifestyle. And that by my Jesus lifestyle, then it gives me a platform to be able to speak that life to other people that are really dead. But here's the third thing, and this is the special calling. This is the special assignment. And this is, this is the assignment that is different for all of us. We all have a special assignment, a special calling that God has bestowed on our life. Now, Mary found it. She was going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. That's a special calling. And I believe that Mary received this calling because she had positioned herself to find favor with God. In other words, she, she aligned herself in such a way that when God started speaking, she was able to hear him. And I believe one of the many ways that you are going to find the special calling that God has placed on your life, specifically, individually, is that you position yourself to where you can hear God speak to your life. Now, I didn't have a relationship with God for the first four years where I felt like I could hear God speak to my life. And it wasn't until I really started diving into what a relationship with God looked like that I realized that God speaks to us just like he spoke to the men of God in the Bible. That God is still speaking to his kids. Nothing's really changed. And so if I'm not hearing God, it's not because God isn't speaking. It's because I'm not positioning myself to be able to hear God download the messages that he wants me to hear. And how do you position yourself to hear more about what God wants to say? Get quiet. Because there's a still small voice that the Holy Spirit has. And sometimes the only way that we're going to hear him is if we get really quiet. And let's be honest, a lot of our lives are way too loud. We've preoccupied every minute of every day with stuff. I was thinking the other day, I was, in a, I was at an intersection, okay, red light. And I decided I was going to look around at all the cars around me. Everybody looked like they were praying. But they weren't praying because I saw the glow up at their face. They weren't praying. They were on their phones. There used to be a time in our culture where a red light was a time to just breathe and exhale, to catch your breath. But we filled every nook and cranny of our lives to where we are never at rest. Where all our minds are always preoccupied. And so it's not that God isn't speaking. It's not that God isn't trying to deposit things into your heart. It's just that we're not sitting still and being quiet to be able to hear what he has to say to us. Mary positioned herself to hear what that special calling was. But besides positioning yourself, there's another element, I believe, for you to receive your special calling, and that is experimenting with your faith. And I don't know if you've ever had a pastor tell you that. Just step out. Just try it. If you just have an inkling, if I call it a nudge. If you just have this nudge, like, I, I think I was supposed to do that. Why not? Just do it and try it. It may not be for you. It may 
be exactly for you, but you won't know it unless you try it. And faith is all about stepping out and trying things you've never done before, isn't it? So you got to experiment. And how do you know? Once you experiment, how do you know? It's like, hey, this is the calling. I've discovered what it is that I'm supposed to do in my life. There's two things that I've discovered in my own journey that really give me feedback on whether it is that I have stepped into the calling and the purposes of what my special assignment is that I'm supposed to do for God. Number one is it fuels me. In other words, it energizes me. When I do this, I actually, like when, when I'm done, I don't feel drained. I actually feel more alive. So when you're doing something that God is divinely calling you to do, it's gonna energize you. It's gonna pump you up. Some people ask me, like, how did you drive back and forth to lead the Las Vegas church for all of those years? I said, because I was called to do it. And so I would get in my car and I would drive four and a half hours from Bakersfield to help get this church going and, and, and started. And it never dawned on me, really. Well, I guess it did dawn on me, but it didn't tire me out. I just was like, okay, sometimes I would drive it twice in one week. And I talked to people here and they're like, how did you do it? And, and I, I don't understand. I said, hey, when God calls you to do something, it's easy. It's easy. He's fueling you to do it. The second thing is others will give you feedback. In other words, you'll feed other people. So it fuels you, but it feeds others. In other words, when you do this thing, other people get blessed. They'll even start giving you feedback on, man, what you did, man, it really ministered to me. Man, it really touched me. And man, can, can you share that with me again? And, and, and can you help me do this again? That really was insightful or that really uh, blessed me. So you'll feed other people. So when you are doing the calling, you step out, you start experimenting and it fuels you and it feeds others, you know you're on the right track. to The calling that God has for your life. And that calling can be all over the place. Your calling could be for ministry. I never saw ministry in my future when I was young. Never saw it. But what was interesting is that when I was a senior in high school, I had this lady who I thought was really strange. Talk about being strange. I thought she was really strange, and she had a prophetic word for me. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And she's like, you're going to be an evangelist. And I was like, I don't even know what evangelist is. He goes, you're just going to be used to give the word of God to other people. And I was like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. <laughs> I already know what I'm going to do. I'm not, I, I don't get it. I, matter of fact, I went to this church that I was attending. I went to the pastor and said, hey, can you explain why this lady did this? And he goes, oh, that lady's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I don't know, you should listen to her. And I was like, okay. So I dismissed it. But fast forward I was leading a concert at our Bakersfield Church campus and, and I did this uh, altar call at the end of the concert. And we had a hundred people come forward at the end of the concert and receive Christ. It was just amazing. And I was like, wow! And I walked off the stage and I, I know I heard the Holy Spirit say, you're an evangelist. I was like, whoa! Wow! All that to say... God had a calling on my life, and I didn't know it, for ministry. But not everybody's going to have a calling for ministry. Some of your calling may look like something personal for your family, that I believe God has calling on people's lives 
to, to create revival in their families. There was a, a, a friend of mine in Bakersfield. He started coming to the church, and he got radically saved. I mean, out of drugs and alcohol, I mean, radically saved. Like, his life was a 180, just a, a, just a miracle story. But he was like, Pastor, I feel my calling now is to go and snatch all my family members out of the fire. I was like, come on, man, that's powerful. And you know what? He wasn't joking around. Because I kept watching him at church, and every week there was another person sitting next to him. And I'm like, hey, who is this? Oh, this is my sister, and oh, this is my aunt, and oh, this is my cousin. I'm not kidding you. That guy in two years had two rows packed in the service with all of these relatives that he either led to the Lord himself or that he brought to service, and they accepted Christ at the altar call during the service. He had a calling to create a revival for his family. Your calling may not look like that, maybe. You have a calling that God says, hey, I want you to do something radical in the workplace so that you can help finance other Christian ministries. Or maybe God gives you a business idea and says, I'm going to use this business and I'm going to fund all of these things that that need to be done for God's kingdom. I had a guy like this in Bakersfield. He had a business and he felt God tell him to start this business. And he said, Day one, he said, my mission is to lead my company in such a way that I give 90% away and I live on 10%. Now, if you know anything about the church, about tithing, you're supposed to give 10% and you're allowed to live on the 90. He's like, no, I want to give 90% away and live on the 10. I was like, man, that's a, that's a bold proclamation. And you know what? He did it. He did. It took a few years to do it, but he came to me one year when I was a youth pastor and he says, Jim, I want to leverage our prophets this month to send a bunch of kids to Hume Lake. But I don't want to just send church kids. I want to send unsaved kids to Hume Lake. And I was like, whoa. And he goes, get 50 kids. Tell your students to go get 50 kids at their school and bring them to Hume. So we sponsored 50 kids for free to go up to Hume Lake where these kids would hear the gospel and have a week of just like intense, just time with God And we had 25 of these 50 kids accept Christ because this man leveraged his business so that he could fund more stuff for God's kingdom. That was his calling. All that to say, you have a calling. I don't know what that calling is, but if you get still enough and you step out in faith enough, you will discover what that calling is supposed to be for your life. That's the first, that's the call. And this is actually the easier part of this three-part process. And the second part is the compliance. This is a little bit more difficult because it's one thing for God to call you to do something. It's another thing for you to step out and do it. Like, okay, God, I heard you. Okay, now is the tough work. And all you have to do is think about poor Mary and Joseph. Mary saying, yes, Lord. But I don't know if we realize in our modern culture what kind of a big deal this was for Mary to say yes to. Worst case scenario, she could be killed because she would be looked at as somebody that slept with her betrothed husband before they were actually married. Which, that meant her death. She would be stoned to death according to the law. Best case scenario, she would be ostracized and cut out from any kind of society mixings. She would be kind of Put aside. But Joseph, put yourself in his shoes for a minute. You know, Mary comes up to him, hey, uh, gotta have this awkward conversation with you. 
so I'm pregnant. Um, you're not the dad, but it's okay because God's the dad and uh, we're going to have the savior of the world. All right, so what do you want for lunch? This had to be super awkward because for Joseph, this meant, okay, I am going to be shunned and I'm going to be marginalized and we're going to live in the space where, you know, hey, you know, your wife did things and she's saying it was God. And but we all know, bro, like we've heard that line before, you know, it's like Joseph was in a tough situation. Now, I don't I don't know how many times you've read through the Christmas story, but a verse really stuck out to me a few years ago as I was reading this text. And have you ever read a text and reread it and then caught something that you didn't catch the first time you read it? Check, check this verse out in Matthew. Um, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. Did you ever catch in the story that for a while, Joseph was thinking about just calling it off, letting her go her way, he would go his way, and they would just make this thing quiet and it would all go away for him. So there was a moment in his experience where he decided to say, you know what, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know, this is a big assignment and I don't know if I can handle it. But he did it. He had to have an angel come and give him a pep talk and that always helps. Right, if you're thinking about not doing something, an angel comes and says, I think you ought to do it. I think all of us would be on board and say, yep, we're in. But check out this next verse. And, and this, is, this is where Jesus is talking to a group of people. And this woman shows up in the circle. And have you, have you ever had uh, this moment where people don't know how to take a moment of quiet and so they just have to say something profound. They're like, I'm going to say something. So this is the moment Jesus has got this crowd around him and was saying these things that a woman in the crowd called, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. I don't know if she said it like that, but he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Because Jesus was trying to get a point across saying, hey, my mom, my earthly mother got a calling, but she said, God, I'm in. So the blessing isn't in receiving the calling. The blessing is doing what you've been called to do. That's where the blessing is. That word blessed means to be satisfied, to be literally translated means to be happy. And there's so many people that are yearning for more happiness in their life, but happiness is found on the road of obedience to do the things that God has called you to do. And when you're on that road, man, the blessing happens. The happy feeling that all of us yearn for and long for is there attached to obedience. We know how crummy it feels when we do something we're not supposed to do, but a lot of us don't know that space of how happy it feels when we do something that actually we're supposed to do. That's compliance. Let me tell you something about compliance. Fear is always a companion when you are making progress in your life. It's always a companion. Because what happens is, when you're doing something you've never done before, you get scared. And I know everybody in this room, you get scared. 
And there's that pushback on, I don't know. What if I do this and it doesn't work out? And what if, you know, that I become the scrutinized person and, and I, you know, everywhere I go, people are like, here, there he is, there she is. All of us deal with that space. But it's coming to the place of saying, you know what? I choose to step out in faith and not live by fear. Because the moment you start living your life by fear is the moment you paralyze yourself from growing as a human being. And there's some people that are paralyzed in fear right now and this morning as I'm talking. And God wants to give you a breakthrough so that you no longer live by fear, but that you start living by faith and making the progress that you're supposed to make in your life with God. Now, as you think about this, I don't, I don't know quite where you're at with this, uh, this idea of, of fear, but I, I will tell you that, that one of the, the things that, that I look at, um, I'm going to come down here, one of the things that I look at is that uh, God is so good to put us in a position that miracles can flow through us. And that the same miracle-working God that we read about in the Bible is working in the lives of men and women of God today. Did you know that? He's still working miracles in people's lives, but here's what I've discovered. That miracles only happen when we're willing to leave the comfort zones of our own lives. Miracles happen when you're willing to leave the comfortable for the uncomfortable. And a miracle happened in this world because a young man, a blue-collar, Joe the Plumber kind of guy, and a teenage girl decided to say yes to God and follow through with it. And because of that, a miracle happened. And I believe a miracle is waiting for you in your life with your obedience to whatever it is that God is calling you to do in your life. The third component here, and this is important, is the covering. Because it's one thing to be obedient, but then, you know, there's this pushback going, I don't know if I, if I have the means to take care of this. And I don't know if you've ever heard the expression where God guides, he provides. As a pastor, that's one of those funny sayings that we have. is like, where God guides, he provides. It sounds so easy. <laughs> but it's a lot harder to live out in, you know, just in real life. But I started thinking about this idea. God sent these wise men to Joseph and Mary when baby Jesus was probably more like a toddler. But they bring these weird gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the Christmas story, but you know, when Joseph and Mary said yes to God and God started moving in their life, God gave them the provision they needed because I don't know how many of you know a rich teenager. I don't know a lot of them. So these guys were very poor. And so God says, I need to provide for them. So he sends these guys and he gives them the provision that they need, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't know how much uh, money that was in biblical times, but it was enough to provide for them so that they can raise this child. Because God's like, they need the provision in order to do this big assignment. This is the covering that when you step out and you do something that you know God has called you to do, you know 
that when you take care of God's kingdom, God's kingdom takes care of you. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else shall be added unto you. It's one of my favorite verses. Philippians 4.19, it says, it says this, it says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. I'm here to testify to you today that when Tara and I received a calling from God to plant a new church, my first answer to God was, no way, Jose. I don't mean to sound blasphemous to call God Jose, but I was just like, no, I don't want to do this, God. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable. I've got a nice church in Las Vegas, and it's hard to plant a church. It's hard to start a church from, from nothing into something But as we kept praying about it, God kept making it very clear to us that we were supposed to do this. And then the obedience happened. And we made the step of faith and we said, you know what, we're doing this thing. We transitioned the Vegas church into a new leadership. We came over here so we're fully available. But then I'm like, God, how how are we going to pay for this? I don't know how we're going to pay for this. I was really scared. I've had a Steady income for the last 20 years of a large church in Bakersfield and now a large church in Las Vegas. And now I'm in unknown waters and I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is I came with a dream in my heart and obedience to follow that dream. And then, guys, miracles started happening. I started getting checks from people that really I didn't solicit. I didn't ask for funds. They just started sending me money that didn't even live in this area, they were like, hey, we heard you're starting a church. We figured you needed some resources to go buy stuff. I had a guy come as I was just praying for a trailer. He came and met me at the trailer place and said, here's my credit card. I want you to buy the trailer that you want. Like, what? Every need that we had to get this church off the ground was completely taken care of. Why? Because where God guides, he provides. Now, I don't know. I don't know about you, but God has made it very evident to me that he is the God that takes care of kids that take care of his kingdom. And if you want to see God move in your life even more this next year than he did this year, then you step out in faith and trust him that he's going to give you the covering that you need financially. I talk to so many families that are just hurting financially, living a paycheck to paycheck, don't know how they're going to meet their needs. And I'm telling you, once you start living for God's kingdom and start being obedient to the things that God has called you to do, he's going to take care of you. Now, he may not give you a surplus to say, hey, you know, here's this extra. He may just give you just enough what you need. He promised to take care of your needs, not your wants. I wish that Bible verse said wants, but it says needs. He'll take care of your needs. But the question is, are you stepping out in true obedience to doing what he's called you to do? Because when you do, then that's when the covering comes. Now, I don't know where you're at, but it's one thing to receive the covering. It's also another thing to be the covering. And for those friends of mine that, believed in this new church campus that they they gave. I mean, that's awesome. But I've been on the other end where I felt led to be able to give and be a covering for somebody else. There was a young man out in front of the grocery store in Bakersfield on Friday. My son had a soccer tournament down there. And I felt really strongly and compelled to give 
to Teen Challenge there. I've sent many guys through Teen Challenge and believe in the program, but just felt that nudge like I was supposed to go help this guy. And I gave him the money, and I said, man, I just want to support you. I know you're going through a lot, and you're in your recovery, and it's awesome, and I want to just partner with you and just, you know, just cheer you on and pray for you. And so I, I got to pray with them. But I don't do that every time. But I did at that time. And I know he got teary-eyed and he got blessed. And the irony of the story is we were in Bakersfield. And guess where this guy was from? Thousand Oaks. I said, are you kidding me? I go, I just started a church in Thousand Oaks. So I told him to invite his parents to come to our church. And um, they may, but I walked away from that. And I was like, wow, it's one thing to be obedient. It's another thing to say, you know, I was part of the covering to help this guy in prayer and in financial giving. Let me tell you, we want to do so much in this area. We, we have a big vision to reach this area. We started right out the gate, went to the summer concerts this year. Some of you, I met you there and you heard about us here. We want to do that again this summer. We have plans to partner with Ventura uh, Action, or actually it's called Action VC, Action Ventura County. We got some projects we got going on. We plan to really roll up our sleeves and start our Africa missions and start giving and sponsoring kids this year. But see, here's, here's the catch 22. We can't do any of this unless we come into an agreement as a church family to say, you know, we're going to get behind this financially. And we're going to give and we're going to be the covering so that we could do all of these projects and all of this outreach that we desire to do as a new church. And so as we wrap up the year, I just want to throw that out there. Because, you know, I know a lot of people are like, we want to leverage our resources, you know, and our finances before the, before the year end. I can't think of a better place that you can give it than what God is doing through Atmosphere Church. And if God puts it on your heart to be able to give, to be a part of this covering of the church and to, for you to receive that blessing, then as we take offering, you can give and you could be a part of this. If not, if you just want to check this church out, hey, I don't want anybody to feel compelled to give. I'm just talking to those people's hearts that you want to partner to see God do great things in this whole entire area. So with that in mind, I'm going to pray and then we're going to just sing the song. And, and as we sing the song about the strange way that God decided to save the world, I, I want you to ask yourself, could God use you? Messed up, ordinary you. And the answer I will give you is a hearty yes with an exclamation point on the end. All caps. Hey, thank you for tuning in today to another message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on YouTube, iTunes podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and even on Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and click either the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. And until next time, we pray you'll keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. God bless you.